0: This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. On today's show, we are continuing our A24 retrospective. This is our 12th edition of the series. You can listen to episodes 196, A24 Lock, 194, A24 Under the Skin, or go all the way back to 108, A History of A24 Films, to get the full backstory of the company. Today we're looking at 2014's Obvious Child, directed by Gillian Robespierre. The film stars Jenny Slate as an aspiring stand-up comedian who gets dumped and in her grief has a one-night stand that ends up with her getting pregnant while the rest of her life is collapsing around her. Before we go deeper into the film, I need to point out that Rachel is currently serving a timeout as she decided to guest on Classic Movies Live with Jeff and Pierre. Normally this wouldn't be an issue as I thought they were great friends of the show, but they decided to make an entire podcast in response to a ContraZoom episode. Back on episode 199, Best Films by Genre, with Bill Antonio, we ranked our 10 favorite films by genre. For one category, we picked our favorite animated films, and despite me prefacing the picks by acknowledging that I know animation is a medium, not a genre, Jeff took umbrage and needed to devote two hours to make a rebuttal show naming their favorite animated movies by genre. Then Rachel decided to call in and to leave some thoughts of her own. You definitely won't find a link to this disgrace of a podcast in the show notes, and you totally can't look through our Twitter account to find me promoting it. That all said, I want to welcome back to the show Stephanie Pryor. Stephanie has been a guest numerous times, most recently on episode 188, the 2022 Oscar Predictions. Welcome back to the show, Steph. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me back.
0: Of course. uh, This was a a movie that I know that you had seen before. Mm Mm-hmm. And so when looking through the different A24 films for this retrospective series, I kind of pointed this one out as one that I knew that I thought you would be a fan of uh, and would be willing to come on to talk about it. Am I accurate in that assessment?
1: Oh, yeah. I I liked this movie the first time I watched it. I love Jenny Slate, so I was excited to rewatch it. Um, And actually, upon rewatching it, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit more later, um, I think I liked it even more upon second watch. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
0: Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, this is your first time on the A24 retrospective series. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, so we're going to kick off this episode with our tradition of our A24 four questions. Mm-hmm. Quiz me. Yes. So number one, hardest question of them all. Yeah. What are your top three A24 films?
1: This was extremely hard. Um, I actually sat down, looked through the list and wrote down every one that I enjoyed. And then by process of elimination, tried to battle it out. Um, And I found that my top two were pretty easy, but it was hard to find a movie to slot into that final third spot. So, uh, with that being said, my top three A24 films are probably Zola, Green Room, and After
0: Yang. Interesting. Those are very different movies. They are very different movies. Yeah, you've got a... Funny, mysterious caper movie. You've got a very violent thriller <laughs> yeah. slash horror, uh, and then you have a very meditative, calming movie.
1: Yeah, I um, I'm not. It's really funny because as I was going through them, um, after Yang clearly is the outlier of all my favorites. A twenty four. I was like, oh, this is extremely different from all the ones that I have enjoyed the most but i think maybe that's why it is one of my favorites and it probably has a recency bias also to be honest but i just loved it so much and it was so meditative and uh really makes you like think and ponder and i thought it was super well done and you just cannot beat that opening credit so like that scene is one of the best
0: well, I'm I'm a, I'm a little surprised. I didn't think that after Yang ranked that highly for you. Did. And I know you liked Green Room. I didn't know you loved it that I much. I do
1: love Green Room.
0: Because it's incredibly gory. I know,
1: I usually don't like gore and I'm not into yeah, slasher type flicks, but I think this one again just is super well done. A great cast, great acting, and the way um everything just kind of bubbles up and like escalates is such a fun creepy crazy watch and i try and i like recommend it to almost everybody
0: so i had <laughs> to have it the, that that's one where i feel like I, you need to be a little specific about who you're recommending it to i like, mean
1: yeah obviously are
0: you okay with gore and do you like horror i think yeah. that's sort of the, the i think gore more than anything because it's not really a horror movie it's more of a, a thriller yeah, yeah yeah but the gore sure. is, is a big aspect it's of huge
1: it. it's quite I mean, there's <laughs> I don't want to get into it because I'm sure you guys will cover it at some point, but like there's one particular gore thing that happens and it gets me every time and turns my stomach and I'm like, okay, is this where I pause and take a break and come Mm -hmm. back? (laughs)
0: it's it's why i i work i've worked in numerous warehouses why it's a big pet peeve when people leave box cutters open oh yeah i'm just like not because of what happens in the movie but like you could just pick it up you could prick your fingers you could jab something that shouldn't be jabbed you could rip clothes (laughs) or product or things like that like guys just put the friggin box cutters away properly yeah there's a protective layer to that for a reason
1: yeah it's (laughs) super easy you know push down that button slide it down
0: exactly and it's no shock about Zola, though. That was no. your favorite movie from last year. No. You left a voicemail talking about how much you loved it for mm-hmm. our best films of the year. So, no shocker about that one.
1: Yeah, love it. Still want to rewatch it. Um, I just have to find time. I was going through this list and was like, oh, yeah, I need to rewatch that one. Oh, yeah, I need to rewatch that one. Um, apparently, I just need to take a month off and rewatch a bunch of A24 films.
0: Yeah, this will just become like every day releasing a new A24 podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, number two, what was your introduction to A24?
1: Yeah, so I had to think about this one a bit and go back and look at it. It happened to be while we're young, which was my first A twenty four film.
0: And on the first episode, I answered these questions. I'm sure that was the one I answered, but I don't remember. I didn't listen back to it, but we saw that in theaters together. together. So that makes Makes sense, sense. probably. Yeah, because we were we were uh, were looking at the list and nothing that came out before we didn't see when it was released. I think there was maybe one or two movies. We saw, but Mm -hmm. we probably didn't watch them until after.
1: Yeah. No, I think while we were, while we're young, definitely was the first one we saw, even though it's not the first, the earliest A24 film that we have seen, but it's the first one we did see.
0: And I feel like we went and watched it because of your crush on Adam Driver.
1: I mean, I cannot confirm or deny that that is the reason we went.
0: It probably was. Moving on. (laughs) Uh, What director, dead or alive, would make a good A24 film?
1: Okay, so I thought about this one a lot, and I really wanted to pick someone good um, and uh, someone different that maybe hasn't been thought of before. And you're going to have to kind of, you know, trust me and go with me on this one, because we actually don't have a lot to go on for feature film directing Mm -hmm. on this one. But um, I'm going to say Regina King. Okay. Okay. I think uh, just based off One Night in Miami Mm -hmm. and the cast that was involved there and the dialogue and the the scenes that were set up in that film, I think that could definitely translate to an A24 film. And if any of her future films are going to be like that, um, I think she's a shoe in for A24. Yeah,
0: I I think that's actually a a really solid pick as well. She does only have the one movie, but it's tackles a difficult subject matter uh, dealing with with racism in America, and it's not like that would be the first A24 film that sort of tackles Mm -hmm. stuff like that. You've got a movie like Moonlight, which very explicitly has issues of dealing with racism, among other issues as well. Uh, So, yeah, I feel like that would be a really solid pick. I think that's a really good one. Yeah, thank you. Good job. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, And then the final question, the most uh, esoteric question, Mm -hmm. what makes an A24 film?
1: Uh, So I didn't want to repeat what some others may have said, um, even though I have definitely super agreed with many of the reasons that people have listed. So I tried to go off the beaten path. Maybe this has been thought of before. Um, But I would say using underrated and or underappreciated leads, actors or actresses, um, you know, someone who is known to be a, a good or actress, but maybe isn't super well-known. Um, so if you have seen them, you're like, oh yeah, they're fantastic, but they're, they haven't made that jump yet. Mm-hmm. Or they are super well-known, but aren't well-known for specific uh, for this specific genre that they're used for in A24. Mm. You know, someone like um, Adam Sandler in Uncut yes. Gems. So, you know, kind of flipping the script on what an actor is known for and or trying to propel that actor even forward.
0: I think, I think that's good, and I think that sort of lines up a little bit with your picks because you've got, uh, like in Zola, you've got both Riley Keough and uh, mm-hmm. Taylor Page. Taylor Page was pretty new to the scene, but Riley Keough had, had some prominent supporting roles, yes. but never really a lead like this. Yeah, yeah. And then you look at Green Room. Anton Yelchin had also... He'd been the lead in a few small indie films, but uh, other than his most well-known roles were stuff like in Star 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 Trek, Trek, where he was very much a supporting role, and this was giving us a chance to be like the real lead. Uh, And then on the flip side, you have After Yang, where you've got Colin Farrell, who, while his career has definitely sort of changed since he got started, I feel like he's most well-known for playing tough guys. In action yeah, movies, sarcastic, action yeah. yeah, sarcastic roles. He's now done a few. As his career's gotten, he's gotten older. He's done more weird stuff. So I'm talking like uh, the Lobster, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and stuff like that. Uh, but he'd never really done anything quite like After Yang.
1: Yeah, that, that's what I was going off of too. I thought about that. I was like, oh yeah. That definitely works for Colin Farrell
0: too. I think I think that's a really good definition and probably why people are drawn to a lot of things. Much like when you talk about, uh, you hear about like a, a new Tarantino movie, you're like, oh, I wonder who's going to cast in this. And they're like, oh yeah, I could see that person in a Tarantino movie. Oh, that's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's sort of similar, same way. Like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, the person in an A24 movie, I bet you they're, they're probably stretching the range a little bit. They're probably getting a bigger or more different part than they're used to, stuff like that. Yeah. So I like that answer. That's a good one. Well, thank you. I was recently dumped up with my very nice close friend who's such a nice person decided to sleep with my boyfriend I would love to just murder suicide them that was the worst it wasn't that bad creative energy sometimes comes from the lowest point in your life well I don't know if you've noticed but I'm in kind of an emotional crisis right now I know you're going through some pain right now, but you're always going to be going through something. I like your shirt. This nice shirt's name is Max.
1: This lady's name is Donna. Is this illegal? You've never peed in public before? <laughs> <gasps> Did you just fart in my face?
0: No. Yeah. Are I, you I, laughing? All right, so let's get into this. Obvious Child was based on a 2009 short film of the same name, written by Robespierre, Anna Bean and Karen Maine, with Elizabeth Holm coming on to help write the full-length adaptation. It marked Jillian Robespierre's feature-length directorial debut after previously having made two short films. She has since gone on to direct one other movie, Landline, and plenty of TV work, including Only Murders in the Building, In Just Like That, and a Jenny Slate comedy special. The movie shows Jenny Slate as Donna, who is an aspiring stand-up comic and part-time bookshop employee, who gets dumped after being an inadequate partner and revealing too much personal information about her partner on stage. He reveals he actually has started a new relationship with Donna's friend. Heartbroken and unable to cope with her emotions, she goes on a tailspin and performs a disastrous stand-up routine that is more a cry for therapy than anything resembling comedy. Afterwards, while wallowing in her self-pity, she meets Max, who somehow managed to miss her set. The two hit it off and have a one night stand. Donna, realizing she's pregnant a few weeks later and knowing she is in no way in a situation to become a single parent, decides she'll get an abortion. While grappling with where her life is at, the decision to terminate is matter of factly presented. We learn that her roommate and best friend had an abortion when she was younger, and also her mother had one when she was in college before she met Donna's father. Statistics show that almost 25% of all American women will have an abortion at one point in their lives, yet it is seldom discussed making it seeming like no one gets one. Once learning that she isn't alone, Donna becomes more confident in her choice and begins to try to form a relationship with Max. The film premiered in January 2014 at Sundance, where A24 bought the rights, and then it began making the festival rounds, and eventually coming to theaters on June 6, 2014 in New York and LA. This is going to be a st- spoiler-filled episode, so if you have not watched the film, we suggest doing it first. I think the starting-off point for our conversation should be Abortion. Gillian Robespierre has talked about how the idea came to her after the misrepresentation of women on screen when it came to unplanned pregnancy, and how she wants to remove the stigma of the procedure. The film, for the most part, is fairly light. It's a rom-com of a woman child who can't get over her ex and isn't sure how to handle a new guy being interested in her. It features plenty of stand-up comedy and laugh-out-loud moments. Does this laissez-faire attitude towards abortion work, or does it have too much levity on such a serious topic for you?
1: Oh my goodness! That is such a heavy question to like lead off with. A
0: heavy question for a not so heavy movie. <laughs>
1: Jeez, um, it works for me. It totally works for me. Um, I think it's you know a subject that's obviously very touchy for a lot of people, but I feel like it shouldn't be. Um, you know, clearly it takes two to to get into the situation, um, but obviously one part of the those two has to deal with the majority of the aftermath. So um, I appreciate how this kind of tries to rev- to reveal all the stuff behind the curtain and make it a little less serious and a little less um, judgy. Even, mm. You know, so it totally worked for me.
0: I think it, it almost has a bit of a clinical approach to the conversation about abortion. It's, talking about, you know, um, I I don't even know how to compare it, going in because you need to get your tonsils removed. You know, it's It's something that has to be done. It's a little serious. It's a medical procedure. It might hurt a little bit. You're going to have some after effects. But at the end of the day, it's in and out. It's just what needs to get done if this is what you're deciding to do for your own personal health choices. exactly. I think maybe somewhere the movie could have gone is... Uh, maybe providing a bit more details of what the procedure actually entails. Uh, we get a bit of a discussion about how it works, but more so just how it feels, you know, uh, the roommate character talks about when she got it, it was, you know, uh, it's a five-man procedure. She goes, oh, I guess I don't need to rearrange my schedule. It's like, no, you kind of do because they're going to want to talk to you a lot and watch you afterwards. And then you're going to have some really bad cramps for the next few days, but no worse than when you have really bad period cramps and things like that. So we get we get kind of this talk about the aftermath, but I feel like, I don't know if it needed this, but mm-hmm. maybe the, the, the concept of writing a bit more of uh, when she goes to the Planned Parenthood and the doctor says more in detail of what the procedure actually is because we get this, oh, hey, I'm, I'm living my life. I'm I'm trying to be a comic. Oh, I can't get over my ex. Oh, and he hurt me so much. And you, you get all this sort of slice-of-life sort of stuff, and then it's just all of a sudden very, as I said earlier, matter-of-factly inserted, I got pregnant. This is what I'm doing. This is my choice. I'm going to go forward with it. No humming and hawing and, you know, praying on it and going to talk to people who are not understanding and trying to convince or otherwise, it's all very matter of factly. So I wonder if maybe, a, a, and some additional lines of dialogue of, and this is how the procedure works to, to even sort of demystify it even more. Do you think that would be something that could have worked in it? Or do you think the way they present it of, Oh yeah. And you just sort of get really bad cramps for a few days and bleed a lot is sufficient. Um,
1: I mean, I feel like maybe they could have, yeah, that would have demystified it a little bit more. But I kind of like that the procedure itself isn't the star or the you know the sun in that universe where everything's running around <laughs> yes. it. It's more just like okay, you know, what's it going to be like? How am I? How's it going to affect me afterwards? Um, it's it's not the the big moment. Obviously, this the movie leads up to the the actual procedure, but it's not the procedure is not the reason for the movie. Mm-hmm. So I like that it doesn't make it so serious that it's such a critical decision. And obviously it is. I'm not saying that it's a light decision to make or, you know, that it could affect someone super um heavily more than someone else. Everyone's going to take it differently, but I like that that was just another way for them to be like, guys, it it happens. women make these decisions every day Mm -hmm. let's not make it such a big deal
0: Mm -hmm. and it's also nice how we sort of get the juxtaposition of when she's talking to her mother and her mother talks about how back when she got her abortion it was an illegal procedure and how
1: that is more in detail and that's I, i liked that because you could see where it how, where it's come from, mm-hmm. how it's evolved and how it's not as scary as it used to be. Like just that her listening to her mother tell her how it happened. That's terrifying. Yeah. And any woman who'd have to go through that is just, that could be a story, like a movie on its own, like mm-hmm. that happening. Um, so just to know, just so that they're able to have that conversation in their living room. So laissez faire, fair, not super serious, not, it's not super, so scary. I thought that was great.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I agree, too. And I think overall, I think it sort of does a really good job of sort of, I don't want to keep using the word demystifying, but uh, revealing some of the realities of being a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there's uh, the opening scene is Donna doing some stand-up, and she's talking about her dirty underwear. Yeah. And she makes plenty of fart jokes throughout the movie as well, which also is something that a lot of women aren't really able to joke about yeah. or talk about casually, yeah. which it is what is a part of the movie. And, and depending on your sense of humor, you will your mileage will vary about how funny you find this to be. <laughs> um, but this routine about her having, dirty underwear. It's not specifically her in general, it's women as a whole and, yeah. and what that's like. And then we get a scene later in the movie when she wakes up from this one night stand and next to the guy's head is her dirty underwear. And you actually see it, it like it's not clean underwear. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. And it's, in it's once again, sort of this reality of women's bodies. Yeah. And it sort of kind of all wraps in, you know, the, the fart jokes, the dirty underwear jokes, the, uh, needing to get an abortion. It's sort of, you know, it, it makes the abortion not seem that out there. It's just another part of women's lives that some of them are going to have to make this decision. Some of them, some women won't have to make this decision, but it's all presented in a way of, this is the reality of what it's like to be a woman sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This idea that we're not just these pretty packages that mm. are empty inside. There are things going on that nobody knows about. Yeah. Um, And that only half the population fully understand and can relate to that intro. Though speaking of intros, (laughs) just speaks to me on such another level because I have such a qualm about being a woman and what it means to have dirty underwear. Because you cannot avoid it. I won't get in depth because I know that'll just like turn off certain people. But like that is everything to me. That that just the way she explains how it looks in like, you know, the going commando face first into what... Like, it was the perfect description. I was like, preach.
0: Now, there's another scene in the movie where I think it's probably something that really doesn't work for me, and it's the David Cross bit.
1: Mm. Uh,
0: we, we, David Cross shows up uh, a little over two-thirds of the way through this movie, and basically Donna has resistant Max, who has tried to ask her out a few times, but she doesn't really want to go out with him because she doesn't know how to tell him that she's pregnant but is getting an abortion. And how do you start a relationship with someone being like, hey, you got me pregnant, and I'm terminating it, and yeah, let's keep dating. It's, it's a bit of a touchy subject matter. She doesn't really know how to approach it. And the fact that she's also going through a lot of personal stuff, she's not over her ex. She's frankly, stalking him, we see at one point in the movie. Uh, Her job is going out of business, so she's about to be unemployed. And so she's got all these different factors going on her, and she doesn't know what to do with Max and how to to react to his advances. She likes him. She thinks he's interesting and funny and, and attractive, but isn't sure if she wants to date him because she doesn't know if she's fully his type. He seems like he's way too buttoned up and and not, you know, uh, a fun comic like she is and all that sort of stuff. And then we get this scene of she's about to go on stage to perform and David Cross shows up uh and I guess he's supposed to be the manager of this comedy club where it's not really clear. Yeah, it's not really clear, yeah. He talks about how they're going to have to cut some sets short. Uh so he's clearly in some position of authority at this mm-hmm. club. And then he's like, hey, let's get out of here. I'm, you know, house sitting at this rich house. And so she reluctantly kind of goes there because she's kind of feeling a bit sorry for herself. And so she goes and it turns out in the past he had... Tried asking her out or something like that, or they went on a date and it was, went really badly. I can't remember the exact details of how how it all. She turned down. him down.
1: Like that's kind of all that was revealed. But. Okay,
0: yeah. Um, and oh yes, she turned him down, and he took it really poorly. And this was a few years earlier, I'm guessing, before her her current relationship at the start of the movie mm-hmm. had happened. And then it just sort of goes from you know two friends hanging out to him uh, trying to hit on her and increasingly getting more and more awkward. And then she kind of leaves and And I understand the point of that scene was to show, Hey, Max, isn't that bad of a guy. He hasn't cheated on her and he isn't being a total creep. Like the David cross character is mm. so he can't be all that bad sort of thing. But it like is basically a 10, 15 minute detour that frankly to me didn't really add anything and just made it uncomfortable where everything else is just laid out of this is life. This is reality. And then all of a sudden she has to deal with uh, a guy being a creep to her sort of thing.
1: See, that is part of our reality.
0: It is. It just, I thought it just distracted from the movie of its tone. It just felt tonally out of place compared to the rest of it.
1: It did feel kind of out of place and it seemed kind of weird, but, um, and you could probably take it out and the rest of the movie wouldn't feel like something was missing, but I think it does just add that other, that extra layer, like. Even when you're down and you're making poor decisions, you can get yourself into even weirder situations, and it's just another element that, like, women have to deal with when they're feeling vulnerable and they're feeling down and they're trying to make the right decisions and they're trying to hang out with friends. It can still, you know, still rain shit on you.
0: Yeah. Do – the movie is called Obvious Child because Jenny Slate is – uh, you know, a, a popular term in, is man-child, where we see a lot of those in the sort of the Judd Apatow films, but we don't often see female counterparts mm-hmm. to that. And this would sort of basically be the female counterpart of a Judd Apatow character totally. where yeah. her life isn't uh, fully together. Did Do you think that they did enough to sort of make her either realistic or not too much of a clown or too much to pity? Like wh- where did you fall in the spectrum of her being a quote unquote woman, child character?
1: I think they told the line pretty well. I mean, you learn that she's borrowed money from her parents. You learn that she's been at the same kind of dead on job for several years. Um, that, you know, all these of her stand-up isn't where it wants to be her boyfriend is cheating on her all this other stuff where and obviously how she takes it proves to show that you know she doesn't know how to handle her emotions quite like a fully matured adult um and so i th- and i don't think they do it to an extent where she's too much of a child we're like ugh, this is like annoying i, I don't care about her and it's not not enough where you're like, no, she's got it together.
0: Mm -hmm. I sort of feel like it's, it's almost like halfway between uh, a Judd Apatow character where, you know, these characters make way worse decisions are (laughs) way more of a mess uh, but done in, in like a way more clownish, cartoony way. Yeah, and it's not more
1: realistic.
0: Yeah, and then the other end of the spectrum would be like a Joe Swanberg or Duplass Brothers sort of mm. the the Mumblecore mm-hmm. movies, where it's just like, oof, that person's life is depressing. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not that person. And it sort of it sort of kind of balances a bit between the two because she's the stand-up comedian. She's able to kind of make fun of her own predicaments and stuff like that and realize the irony of the way she's behaving and acting and all right. that sort of stuff. But at the same time, you know, uh, there is a bit of sadness to it as well that I think lends well. Did Jenny Slate sort of nail those two sides of the coin of being both serious and funny at the same time? Or do you think she may be a, was a bit stronger in one side and sort of carrying the other half.
1: No, I think she definitely showed both sides of that coin. And I think all you have to do is look at her interactions between her friends versus her parents, where, uh, your friends, you kind of get the more clowny, more, um, joking side of things. When she's talking to her parents, you can tell she's more rooted and a little bit more, um, mature and serious talking to them whilst still being like a clowny her her like silly self but a little bit more serious
0: yeah I, I I agree I think I think for the most part she did a pretty good job and it sort of falls under that the banner of uh of comedians doing serious work mm. where it's it's not full-on I don't know let's call it like uh, Steve Carell and Fox catcher. Oh gosh. Yeah. Serious. Yeah. Uh, it, it kind of does have the nice balance or maybe something like Adam Sandler and uncut gems where he still is able to kind of be a little bit funny while still yep. also, yeah. uh, bring the serious at the same time.
1: Yeah. That's a good example.
0: I think my favorite joke in the whole movie is, uh, when she first meets Max and they're drinking at the bar and then they leave and then they're oh, yeah. both peeing in the alley, and uh, he lets one rip while he's peeing, but it's right next to her face, and so he calls her pee-farter. Uh, I thought that was probably my favorite comedy. She calls him pee-farter? Yeah, she yeah. calls him pee-farter. That's uh, how she describes him to her friend, I believe, uh, but that's probably my favorite joke in the whole movie. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I think it's her friend recalling him. Like, yes. she's like, Oh, you slept with the pee far? You got pregnant by the pee farter? Yeah, that's Yeah, a, yeah. That was um, a good one. My favorite, I think, was when when uh, Donna first, meet, first meets Max, and he goes to buy another round or something, and she calls him the definition of Christian or something. Like, he just looks super Christian or yeah. something like that. I was like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> like, no, why would I sleep with him? He's the definition of Christian.
0: Yeah, especially since she's already made several jokes about... uh her, her 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 culturally jewish appearance and lifestyle yeah. and and how uh that w- they wouldn't be a good match because of that. She's
1: like I can't top a christmas tree. <laughs> I'd be the burning menorah on top of the christmas tree.
0: Yes, yeah. So we get we get some good jokes about that. Yeah. Uh so I really like that. Uh, I going back to what I found funny there, but the the pee farting scene is it's already set up because she made jokes in her stand up about being casual about farting mm-hmm. that she finds it hilarious that he farts in her face accidentally. Yeah. Uh, but it's you know anyone else it would be like all right we're we're done here this, this is, is over. over. Yeah. <laughs> but because she's a stand up comedian that's already joked about that that's it's the funniest thing in the world to her that a guy that's, trying to hook up with her would do that to her <laughs> accidentally, <laughs> accidentally, but still do it.
1: <laughs> I think it just goes to show how comfortable they were together. He just yes. felt so comfortable. I mean, they're peeing next to each other. Um, his back to her while she's squatting and yeah. he's peeing away. But yeah, super funny.
0: <laughs> uh, overall, I, I found this a movie that it was, it was very funny and I liked, the, the subject that they're tackling. I think uh, Robespierre and Slate do a really good job of making abortion seem like a normal thing. Not that it is a normal thing to want to have done or to- Easy thing to happen. Yeah, easy thing to happen, easy choice to make. But the fact is when you are put in a, that position where you don't want to have a child and you're not, you're not prepared for it, it shouldn't be a big deal. In the same way, we're able to look at and be like, oh yeah, you know, if you have uh, an ectopic pregnancy or if uh, you unfortunately have had a miscarriage or things like that, where it's like, oh yeah, you understand, yeah, of course you're going to need an abortion because it's going to save your life. Otherwise it could potentially kill you or, or things in, uh, if it was a product of a very traumatic experience, whether it was, you know, rape or incest, it's like all these of course are all valid reasons for why people, why women want an abortion. But you know, at the end of the day, a woman deciding she wants one is the reason.
1: It doesn't matter. It doesn't what's matter behind it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And so it's nice because I feel like there's, there's plenty of movies you can look at, uh, be like, Oh, yeah, I could see why this, this woman would probably want an abortion. You know, look at all that they're going through. And, and this is not going to be a good situation for the mother or the baby and all this sort of stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Whereas this is just like, she's just not ready to be a mother. That's all you need to know. Even mm-hmm. that, you don't even need to know any more than that. And so I think they do a really good job of sort of conveying that, like, uh, what Donna's intentions are doesn't matter to anyone else. It just matters to Donna.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think that everyone that she tells is pretty respectful about that as well. Like Mm -hmm. she tells her mom and she's worried about telling her mom, as I feel like most women probably would be, uh, because you're like, you're talking to someone who decided to have children right? and now you're telling them you don't want to do what they did and they could take it as a offense, as a slight, all this sort of stuff. And very nicely uh, we get the scene with her mother uh, where she's like, no, I understand what you mean. That's all you need to tell me.
1: Yeah. I loved her reaction. She's like, Oh God, I thought you were going to tell me you were moving away. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, that was worse for her than hearing that she had to have an abortion, mm-hmm. which was a very kind of nice um, thing to have here. Cause you, you can build up, you know, a conversation with someone you haven't had with yet and it can just go to such an extreme in your head. And then when something like that happens, it can just, you're like, oh, wow. I'm sure there are tons of mothers out there who would not act the same way and mm-hmm. would have the opposite um, reaction. But it's nice to see uh, representations of mothers who are accepting of such a choice.
0: Mm-hmm. And it was two very good performances by your parents. Uh, Polly yeah. Draper as her mother and Richard Kind as her father. A lot of people probably recognize Richard Kind from stuff like Spin City where mm-hmm. he was on that. Um, he's also an Inside Out. He, has a, he voices uh, Bing Bong in that movie. Yeah, he's
1: a, I think he was one of the grasshoppers as well in Bug's
0: Life. That would make sense, yeah. He's, yeah. he's got a great voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, do you have anything else you want to add about this movie before we move on to our game portion?
1: I just, I really enjoyed it. It's a super short film. It's a quick, easy watch. Um, and it's just really funny. I mm-hmm. thought it was a really funny film about such a serious topic
0: it's it's groundbreaking in the way they approach the subject matter, but outside of that, it's it's fairly, uh, I don't want to call it formulaic, but um, you, you've definitely seen movies like this before of you know, a, a romantic-type yeah, comedy yeah. of a woman or girl. a person's life yeah. falling apart and trying to figure out how to move forward with their life of is this relationship good or not. It's kind of predictable about what's happening with the relationship and how it's all going to play out, but that doesn't mean that it isn't funny or interestingly or done with, Uh, Very good chemistry. more often than not, uh, romantic comedies sort of hinge on the chemistry of their leads and how they all work out. And this movie really is pretty much the Jenny Slate show. Her romantic interest, I would say, is barely in a quarter of the movie. He isn't in a lot of scenes. It's a lot of scenes of, of Donna on her own or Donna with her roommate, Donna with her parents.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: that sort of stuff
1: I think he's great in it mm-hmm. though and one of my favorite scenes is where he warms the butter when they're at the restaurant she's yes. like did you just warm my butter for me yes
0: <laughs> like, it's a like, very adorable so moment
1: nice <laughs> <laughs> and she's like <laughs>
0: yeah but we're gonna take a short break and when we come back we are going to play our A24 retrospective games well I'm accustomed to the smooth or maybe I'm a dog who's lost it's bad. I don't expect to be treated like a fool no more I don't expect to sleep through the night So people say lies, lies, lies But I say why, why deny the obvious child Why deny the obvious child And i remembering the road sign I'm remembering the girl when I was young And we said these songs are true These days are all All right. So the first one game that we are going to play is make our double bill pairing. Mm -hmm. So the only rule for this is you have to select a movie to pair with obvious child that would make a interesting double pairing of whatever criteria you choose. The only condition is it cannot be another A24 movie. So what is your pick?
1: Okay. So I tried to find, again, something that wasn't super on the nose, wasn't, you know, strictly about pregnancy or abortion or any of those storylines. So I'll try and explain this as best as possible, but my double billing um, is actually How to Be Single with Dakota Johnson. Interesting. Yeah. So instead of following one woman through her journey, we kind of have four stories in How to Be Single, Um, but they're all younger ladies they're all kind of looking for something different in their life um that may be kind of a faux paw um from an outsider looking at a female's life and the trajectory that's supposed to go so um you have dakota johnson's character who makes the, the decision to break up with her boyfriend to try and um see what's out there and learn more about herself which would be like a girl is breaking up with a boy in order to like express herself that's not kind of seen as bad uh rebel wilson you know uh kind of similarly doesn't want just a one guy romance she's just out to party which is can also be looked down upon when that's the goal of a woman leslie mann is older and decides she wants to have a child and so she gets artificially inseminated um which is another like faux pas decision for women to make i feel like there's lots of different things that are happening in that movie that could be just as easily one of them accidentally getting pregnant and having to decide that for themselves so just lots of kind of connections there um and also throw in jake lacy is actually also in that movie
0: jake lacy plays max in, yes. in this in obvious child. In obvious
1: child and he plays um the love interest of Leslie Mann, the younger love interest of Lex, um, Leslie Mann. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, which is, again, another faux pas. Like another woman acting badly, but really, they're truly not. So I don't know, th- that's just where my head went. I felt like that would be a good pairing to watch together if you didn't want to watch the same movie twice mm. kind of thing.
0: I think, yeah, I think that's very interesting because it's sort of between these two movies sort of encompass a lot of the concerns and thoughts women have where how they are perceived in relationships and how they want mm-hmm. their own lives to go right and a matter of taking control of your own life no matter how that is whether yeah. that's wanting to have a child not wanting to have a child wanting to be more free wanting to settle down all this sort of stuff so it's, it's nice between the two movies it almost it almost sort of feels like you if if you would have condensed the donna storyline she could have been the fifth member yeah. of that movie
1: <laughs> most definitely yeah she could have just joined in
0: yeah, yeah, where she, you know, the story could have been. She has a one night stand and has to decide that she wants to get an abortion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that actually is a, that's a very interesting double pairing, and I think it works well because I haven't seen all of uh, that movie, so I can't really comment it. But I, I believe I've seen bits and pieces of it, and it's it's quite funny, but also I think it does a decent enough job of being serious when it needs to be serious. From what I've mm. seen, I know it's it's probably even lighter than Obvious Child. Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, and on,
1: honestly, it's not the greatest film. I still enjoy it for a fun watch, but like, I'm, yeah. I'm not promoting it as a fantastic movie <laughs> or anything. It's just a good pairing to watch obviously. I, I think it's a
0: good one, yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so my double bill pairing is, if you know me, then this is not going to be very much of a surprise. Uh, you have actually already guessed that so we don't I share our, our picks before. I freaking knew it. <laughs> Uh, and it is Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Yeah. Uh, so yes, the obvious connection is that it is a movie about a young girl getting an abortion, but it sort of highlights the difference in American laws on the procedure. And Never Rarely, the main character is a 17-year-old from Pennsylvania who cannot get an abortion without parental consent, something she would be unable to obtain. Uh, so she travels to New York where she is able to get one quickly and easily. The two films highlight wanting to get an abortion, but it doesn't have to be a life or death choice, but instead a personal one that any woman needs to be allowed to make. And I think it's also a good choice because you can look at obvious child and be like, this is the way healthcare should be administered. And you look at never, rarely, sometimes, always, and go, this is how healthcare should not be administered. And considering the recent overturning of mm. Roe v. Wade in the United States, there's going to be more stories like the never, rarely, sometimes, always one exactly. and less yeah. like the obvious child one, Yeah, where obvious child will then become uh utopia science fiction of a woman gets to choose her own healthcare options. Uh, whereas Never Rarely is sort of the opposite of having to go through a whole bunch of hoops and put yourself in peril and not be safe about it until she finally gets to the magical place called Planned Parenthood. Mm. That does more
1: than just abortions. That
0: does way more than just abortions. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, barely any of their services are abortions and not all Planned Parenthoods even offer abortions. Mm -hmm. There is way more to that as well. Um, So I, you know, it's... Like I said, it's the obvious pick. If you were to Google movies about abortion, this one is going to be on there. It only came out a couple of years ago. It was very underseen, it's a very it's very, very serious very movie. Heavy, yeah. It's super heavy. You're not going to feel good after watching it. You know, there's there's maybe like one glimpse of hope throughout this entire movie, um, and it doesn't even come at a, a positive moment, really.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but it's a great movie. It's great it performances. Um, it's directed by Eliza Hitman, who did a phenomenal job, and Cindy Flanagan as the lead, in that she did an amazing job of of really bringing to life this teenage character who. Uh, for all intents and purposes feels like her life would be over if she ends up having this child because her life would get a whole lot worse due to the situation that she's in Mm -hmm. because of her home life, because of her age, because of who her partner is, all this sort of stuff sort of compound. Uh, And so you get, it's also like I was talking about earlier about, um, you know, the sort of two sides of the coin of uh, a rational abortion and an abortion that, it happens just because uh, that a woman mm-hmm. decides to. So never rarely you look at it and be like, wow, I totally understand why this young girl, this child would want to go through and have this procedure. Uh, and you don't need much help to justify it, even though it is just as reasonable of wanting to get an abortion as Donna's is an obvious child sort of thing.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a good just juxtaposition position there where obvious child, Jenny Slate is a fully grown woman and living kind of a silly comedic life. Mm-hmm. And this happens to her. And you've got an obvious child yeah. <laughs> who is in a very serious situation. Yes. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, exactly two sides of one coin. Reverse, like looking through a mirror, but opposites. Um, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that previously, but I knew you were going to pick that one.
0: I know. It's, it's a very obvious Dakota pick. <laughs> uh, Rachel would roll her eyes if I made this pick because she knew it would be me <laughs> actually no if it was like a, a movie from the 70s or something like that uh, or non-english if I went with like portrait of a lady on fire where there's a, a is it a, a
1: period s- piece
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's the, that's the key it's a period piece movies which never really is not it is a modern day horror story <laughs> um okay so the next question is would you rather so do you have a would you rather question for me that has to do with this movie sure
1: so I go first okay yep
0: my eyes are closed. I'm listening. I'm You're present. Listening.
1: Okay. So, my would you rather? Would you rather perform a short stand-up set where at some point you have to reveal a secret about yourself or would you rather sit through at front row a full stand-up comedy routine that crashes and burns?
0: Oh, that's pretty easy. Uh, definitely uh perform because the best comedy comes from revealing stories about yourself. And so it shouldn't be too difficult to come up with a secret that I'd be okay with sharing that I could probably make fun of myself okay, for. Okay, it's not
1: a light secret. It's a heavy secret, like telling an entire audience uh, that you're pregnant and getting an abortion. Um,
0: I probably would still do that because I feel like I'd be more in control of the situation than I would be front row of a stand-up comedian crashing and burning, yeah. where I just don't handle awkwardness very well.
1: Yeah, this is why I thought this was a good one for you, because I know how much you hate cringy. yes comedy and uncomfortable situations. Yes. So.
0: And, and there's a moment in obvious child where it does get a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I didn't care for it as much, even though I understood its purpose in the movie.
1: Yeah. Well, you answer that much quicker than I thought you would.
0: What about you? What's your answer?
1: Uh, It's tough, but I would probably, Oh, I'd probably do the same thing. Cause like just in terms of ripping it off, like a bandaid versus sitting through, like say it's a full hour long set that's just not going well. And especially front row, I would never sit front row in anything um, that could involve interaction with the performer on stage. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'd probably pick the reveal a secret as well. because then you can just leave. you can probably never see those people
0: again. Exactly, exactly. And there's a certain power to being up on stage when you're performing. You know, uh, this club that the movie takes place in you know, it's pretty dimly lit, but most of the time you've got stage lights on you, so you can't really see people. You can just sort of see, you know, the reflections off their glasses, or when they start laughing, you could see their white teeth or things like that, but you can't really see people for the most part. And so I think there's also that uh, barrier level, and there's a little bit of uh, armor that you get when you are the one in control of the situation and, and telling. What you want people to hear, sort of thing.
1: Potentially, yeah. there are some people who hate public speaking, though. Yes, and speaking in front of large groups. So, yeah, I feel like it could be hard for some other people to answer that question.
0: But that's a, that's a good. Would you rather? In this this movie, was very difficult for me to come up with one. I really struggled, and I know I've gone pretty dark on some of these episodes. But like, I'm not gonna go be like, "Would you rather have an oh, abortion yeah. or not have an abortion?" because one, that's not a good question, and and two...
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, would you rather know you got someone pregnant or not know someone was pregnant? But I wasn't going to put you on the spot.
0: Oh, that's an interesting one. Because I think
1: either way, you end up as a dick. Like, it doesn't matter what you want. Sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's one of those things where it's just like... Still, would you want to know or not want to know sort of thing? <laughs> so it's very interesting. That 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 would be a good question, but because you didn't ask it, I'm not answering but it. That's totally fair. Uh, okay, so Obvious Child. Mm. The title of Obvious Child comes from a Paul Simon song called The Obvious Child. And you hear this song throughout the movie, uh, I believe at least once, uh, maybe more than once. But would you rather have the Paul Simon song... 50 ways to leave your lover or still crazy after all these years to be the basis of a movie on your life or star in or whatever.
1: I think it'd be more fun to have the 50 ways to leave your lover. I think that'd be a hilarious film.
0: Honestly, that's exactly where my mind went to. Yeah.
1: I can just picture it. There's so many montage scenes in that. Exactly.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It would actually, I feel like it would make a really good movie because even if, you know, you're talking about your, if I'm saying it's based on your real life, you can still have the conceit of the ending being, and this is how I ended up with my partner, sort of like how mm-hmm. I met your mother, where right. it's all about all the bad relationships and people that didn't work out. But in that the end, you to, yes. yeah. and so 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover could be a romantic comedy about all the bad dates and all the bad boyfriends and girlfriends you've had. And eventually you found your, your ultimate partner, your soulmate sort of thing.
1: Or reverse, you're the one doing all the leaving
0: oh yeah yeah that's what that yeah that's that's what i, oh, would, I thought
1: yeah. at the end there i thought that's what you were saying that you were the one being left by all these material. people oh
0: no that would like, be funny that's as well
1: crummy like i'd rather be the one leaving <laughs> yes but yeah it works on both sides i guess
0: yes uh so yeah i once again bit of an easy one um and that's the best i could come up with <laughs> this like movie wasn't so. very plot heavy <laughs>
1: no no i mean it's i don't want to say it's a day in the life because it's it's kind Of two weeks in my life, yeah, uh, but yeah, I,
0: I guess I could have made a would you rather around w- getting an abortion on Valentine's Day or on your mother's birthday because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> those are the two options Either she's presented way you're with. You're gonna remember for the rest of, <laughs> of your life what exactly. day it was. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I think that that wraps up this discussion. I I do want to give one brief shout-out. The I Hope You Suffer podcast, after the roe v wade was overturned announcement happened they spent the next few months donating all of their patreon uh, funds directly to uh, abortion charities and ways to help out women who need this medical procedure so give a big shout out to them because they're they're awesome people and i really commend them i don't know if they're going to hear this or not but shout out to them uh and stephanie thank you so much for coming on today and talking about uh, a movie that you clearly really enjoyed
1: i did really enjoy it i didn't there's gonna be I mean this movie is about abortion but I think there'd be so much you know focus on purely that <laughs> I wasn't ready for the serious
0: talks you can follow the show on Instagram Twitter and Facebook at ContraZoomPod if you have seen Obvious Child let us know your thoughts send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to you Stephanie Pryor for the logo design if you would like to listen to podcasts on YouTube we do post all episodes there as well thanks for checking us out <laughs>